To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and we are waiting for the Prime Minister to outline new virus restrictions for England. And he's going to talk to the House of Commons in about half an hour's time. Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove, meanwhile, has confirmed the government will tell workers to stay at home if they can. At the same time, Boris Johnson is set to order pubs and restaurants to close at 10 o'clock every night from Thursday. Last orders and back to working from home. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Michael Gove has been taken to the airwaves today. He says the steps are being taken reluctantly. No one wants to to do these things. No one wants to take these steps. But they're absolutely necessary because, as we were reminded yesterday, the rate of infection is increasing. The number of people going to hospital is increasing. And therefore, we need to act. And the Prime Minister is going to address the nation tonight. But first, he's going to speak to the House of Commons, as Roger mentioned, in about half an hour's time. And stay with us. We're going to bring you that full speech just after Bloomberg Westminster. Right. But joining us now is Simon Hawke, Conservative MP for North Dorset, chair, of course, of the Northern Ireland Committee in the House as well. Uh, Welcome to the programme, Simon. Um, In the next hour, as we said, the Prime Minister will set out the new restrictions to fight the virus. We already know much of what he is likely to say. But do you think it's the right time effectively by this uh, idea about people not working in offices to effectively close down city centres once again? If that's what's required... Um, If that's what the scientists are advising ministers to do, this is that we should do it. Um, I think we should never lose sight of the fact that this is a public health emergency. It has other impacts. Uh, It has impacts uh, with regards to uh, the economy and employment, but principally, first and foremost, it's a public health issue, and that's how we must face into it and tackle it. So if the advice is to close things down, if the advice is to work home, if the advice is to uh, wear masks more regularly uh, and in more places, then so be it. We must go along with it and, uh, and abide by any new rules which come forward. Uh, Simon, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I've got to ask the question again on this programme. Is all of this enforceable? I mean, even with the pubs closing at 10, there's not nothing stopping the people who want to from going back to a friend's house and opening a few tins there. And I mean, even with working from home, it's, it, it, it's advice. It's not necessarily being enforced. This is, this is the conundrum, isn't it? Um, uh, there, are, there will be certain behaviours uh, which will attract uh, a fine. Some will just rely upon common sense. I thought the most striking thing from the conference yesterday from uh, Valence and, and Witty was this idea of um, uh, this is now not a time for selfish behaviour. 
um, that uh, people can't just say, well, look, I think I'm immune to this. This is not going to hit me. It's not going to affect me. I can do what the hell I like. And let other people pick up the consequences. That has gone. Now, I think this is a, this is a sort of baby steps approach that um, uh, government is trying to respond now to this uh, rise in the R rate, the, uh, which, is, which is very worrying. Uh, if it doesn't work, the government should be fleet enough of foot to recognise that whilst looking at the data. And then we'll have to become more heavy-handed. To an extent, it's up to all of us as citizens as to whether we take this issue seriously and whether we're prepared to step up to the plate and admit that we have an individual part to play and then play it. Is the risk not, though, in going back to policies we've had in the past, advice we've had in the past, two things, one, causing confusion, and the other, burning goodwill with the public? Well, certainly I, I appreciate, I think everybody does, how irritating it is to individuals and to businesses. Um, uh, we're not used to policy uh, like this, are we? But we are in exceptional circumstances. We're used to a sort of start, middle and an end to a policy delivery. This is something where we're going to um, effectively play a little bit of sort of hopscotch. We're going to be going forward, we're going to be backwards, we're going to be standing still at certain times. It has to be dictated by the data. And that is counterintuitive uh, to how we are used to living our lives and how we are used to seeing public policy delivered. But I suggest that certainly for the short to medium term, uh, in this respect, if, if no other, uh, we're just going to have to get used to it. But all this also, Simon, runs counter to the direction that we had been being pushed in. Go back to the city centres, open up offices, civil servants being encouraged to go back as well. Mm. And a lot of people be saying, well, hang on. Part of this was that when the furlough ends, when the scheme to support people whose jobs were at risk ends, at the end of October, the plan was jobs would be there again because people would be going back to work, business would be opening up. What we're hearing now is going to go against that. So should furlough be extended? Well, I certainly think that there, there has to be an argument um, if we are going to deal with these things at a national level. Um, we're going to need national solutions. And it is very hard to see that if we go into some form of either uh, replicatory lockdown, such that we had in the sort of late spring, early summer, or something analogous to it, uh, to suggest that uh, uh, the British workforce uh, could do that and British bosses could uh, absorb that without any further help from the Treasury. Whether you call it further, whether you call it final further, I, I don't think anybody really would give a damn what the hell it was called, as long as there was some uh, sort of safety net of support uh, below which nobody could fall. Interesting. So we do need to continue with some sort of support there. Um, what, what about the impact on people's mental health and their physical health? I've heard a lot of anecdotal responses that the first lockdown took a real toll, and we're likely to compound that then with, with something resembling another lockdown. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, to govern is to choose, and, and there is no decision that any government ever takes uh, which doesn't have a knock-on effect to something else. So I represent uh, a very rural uh, constituency. Uh, rural isolation yeah, is always an issue here. We're going into a change of season where the days are going to get shorter, the nights are going to get uh, darker, and people are going to be more um, housebound. That is bound to have an effect on on, on mental health, on depression, on, on loneliness, on those sorts of issues. Uh, allied to that, of course, is the uh, is the pressure building up in terms of routine elective surgery and diagnostic health care, be it uh, oncology, diabetes, 
uh, cardiac, uh, orthopedic. All of these things, all of us as members of parliament, are now hearing from constituents who have who are now getting very worried about whether they are going to get treatment and when they're going to be able to get it. So, you know, I mean, you are damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. We're trying to face into this highly contagious um, uh, and for too many of our fellow people, um, ultimately fatal disease. Uh, it is going to have a, an, an effect. And I do fear that we will see um, over the coming months an increase in, in, in what would have been described as avoidable um, deaths owing to complications which would have been treated in normal circumstances but aren't being at the current uh, time. Um, and that's very sad. And as I say, there, there isn't a right or a wrong answer uh, on this. Maybe we should be trying to um, have separate streams of the National Health Service uh, able to deal with uh, elective in, in, in some locations and solely dealing with COVID um, in others. And I would hope that Department of Health and Social Care ministers are thinking about that. Let me ask, I mean, these, these, as you say, are difficult questions and questions that should be considered by our elected representatives, such as yourself. Do you have sympathy with colleagues like um, Graham Brady saying, actually, Parliament hasn't been given enough oversight? I, I don't have much sympathy with that, I have to say. I mean, we are effectively uh, in wartime fighting an invisible um, enemy. Ministers are coming to the dispatch box and are able to be asked uh, questions. But they have to have the freedom to act um, uh, in a very speedy way in response to things as they arise. And I would hate it uh, for ministers to miss an opportunity uh, to be able to, to act in a certain way, having been uh, hogtied to the idea of having to have a full full dress parliamentary debate and then a vote and all the rest of it. Um, that seems to me just sort of putting process uh, over output. And I think people are just much keener to see better outputs in terms of health and dealing with COVID. And, you know, I mean, I, we, we can all be terribly... Uh, grand and pompous as members of parliament I'm not entirely sure how many of the population tune in to listen to our debates and go well that's okay we'll do that now because 20 MPs have taken part in the debate I think that's slightly um, uh, over, over inflates our importance well, speaking of debates you've taken part in, you uh, were one of a handful of MPs to, or Conservative MPs, to abstain on the Internal Market Bill uh, last week. Theresa May saying yesterday she can't support it in its current form, even with the amendments. Where are you now? Are you at the point now where you can vote for this bill? Um, I was rather hoping you were going to ask me that, because um, <laughs> it, 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 is a, it is a conscience issue with which I am still, I must confess, confess wrestling. Uh, the House voted last night, I abstained, um, to the, the clauses relating to Northern Ireland stand part of the bill, i.e. become part of a bill. The votes tonight, which are on the government's response to the Bob Neill Amendment, to which I was a signatory, effectively says um, this is our response uh, to a collapse in the talks of what, uh, and what we would do. Uh, I'm not sure whether to vote for that, given the fact that the clauses are stand part of the bill, or whether to continue abstaining, because I think the broad principle here is one of um, rule of law. And that very important thing, and again, it sounds, um, it sort of sounds abstract and maybe old-fashioned, that one of the great glories of our country is our adherence to the rule of law. 
uh, is the fact that it is known on the inter- we are known on the international stage when we sign a document, when we enter willingly into an obligation, uh, we abide by it come hell or high water. And this sort of playing fast and loose with our commitment and, and, and preloading it, yeah. I think that's almost one of the things which offends so, saying we've already thought about this and this is what we would do rather than having to respond to an so, event which we all hope isn't going to occur. Well, indeed, Simon, very in two words, your mood at the moment is yes or no on it, do you think? No. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with an event that's been slightly overshadowed today. It was Labour leader Keir Starmer's pitch to voters. It was essentially his speech at Labour Party conference. The only difference was it was all virtual. So he spoke in Doncaster uh, and he was saying that Labour is going to put family first in a sign of patriotism for the UK. Never again will Labour take you or the things you care about for granted. And I ask you, take another look at Labour. We're under new leadership. That is the message they're trying to hammer home. New leadership moving away from Corbyn. What I thought also was interesting, Roger, was the way that he's starting to attack Boris Johnson more directly now. At the beginning, it was all very, let's just assess, let's try and be constructive. Now he's saying, while Boris Johnson was writing columns about bendy bananas, I was defending victims and prosecuting terrorists. So really trying to drive the wedge in there with regard to both of their pasts and their training before they became MPs. Well, they've got a mountain to climb because Labour suffered its worst election really defeat, do. of course, since 1935, and that was last year. But anyway, Brexit's still front and centre, of course, in a lot of people's minds. And on that front, France has said the EU should keep pursuing a free trade agreement with Britain, despite the warning that any British violation of the deal would end the push. France's junior minister for European affairs, Clément Bonne, said Boris Johnson's plan to break international law would end up harming Britain. But he told reporters that EU, the EU should continue to negotiate. Yesterday, the former Prime Minister, of course, Theresa May, criticised the UK Internal Market Bill. She said she'd refused to support it in Parliament. And, of course, we just heard from one of the leading Tory rebels there as well, uh, Simon Hoare, that he probably would do the same. Yeah, that bill gets another hearing at committee stage today. And meanwhile, the Lord Mayor's show, this annual event that features a three-mile-long procession through the streets of the city, cancelled for the first time since 1852 because of the pandemic, of course. It was due to take place in November. They'd already planned it as a televised event with no public access, but now the City of London 
cancelling it entirely. The last time this happened was for a period of national mourning for the Duke of Wellington, the former Prime Minister, two-time former Prime Minister, in fact, um, and also the general who defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. And a fun fact about him, he was simultaneously Prime Minister and head of the House of Lords, which is not something that would really float today. Unlikely, I think, is the answer. And we'd certainly try and get him back onto Bloomberg Westminster if it <laughs> happened. But no, uh, well, very interesting in the light of events, but key civil servants have been told to bring lunch from home to avoid eating out near their workplace, according to the Huffington Post. That flies in the face of Boris Johnson's campaign to help cafes and takeaways like Pret a Manger, which, of course, was one of his central arguments for a return to office life. One insider told the website the staff were also advised to avoid using the lifts in the building at lunchtime when most staff normally leave the building to buy lunch nearby as social distancing restrictions meant that there'd be big queues but of course all this now thrown into doubt because at least according to Michael Gove this morning they don't want civil servants to come back into the office in the same way they don't want most of us to come back to the office so who knows where this is all leading yeah and even before that more conflict between the civil service and the government in number 10 which is a central theme we're seeing play out here but back to the top story the prime minister very shortly outlining new restrictions for england this after the uk chief medical officers recommending the virus alert status should rise to level four i've got to admit i almost forgot we had these alert levels meaning cases are now rising rapidly and probably exponentially that's a scary word for more we're pleased to be joined by sean griffiths she's the chair of the global health committee and board member of Public Health England. Uh, Sean, just looking at these restrictions that we think the government are going to bring in, we're talking about pubs and restaurants closing early, we're talking about working from home again. Are these the right things, do you think, to be doing at this point? Yes, uh, basically what we need to do is to uh, lower the rate of social mixing because it's by people getting together the virus spreads. So the less, the less we're together and the more we stick to those rules of you know, social distancing, um, masks and hand washing, the more we remember there's a pandemic, the more likely we are to be able to cap the increase that's going on at the moment. Because as you say, it is an exponential increase. It's uh, the, the diseases, the, the numbers of positive cases doubled uh, in the last week and doubling in the few weeks before that. That's why it's called exponential. Uh, and uh, we can see it's continuing at that, at that pace unless measures are taken. And one of the measures we can take is to decrease social mixing, decrease the spread between people who are close together. Well, as you say, it is a decrease, and we don't know the full details, of course, because we're going to hear them from Boris Johnson uh, in a few moments or a few minutes from now. But as we know, it's it's to do with people not going into the offices if they can avoid it, people uh, not being in pubs, of course, after 10pm. A lot of people say, well, this is, this is tinkering in a way. It's not the same as the previous lockdown. And if people can still meet in schools, if households can meet, actually, does it really make any difference at all? Well, if you look at uh, the, the, the whole country, many people are already living in more strict regimes than, than, than this. They're already uh, not allowed to have anyone into their houses um, and uh, working from home, as you say. Uh, in Wales, they've got sort of geographic boundaries around the areas they can and can't go to. Uh, and so in a lot in where the cases, case rates are higher, there's more targeted action. And I think that, uh, that what we've learned from generalized measures is that you you need those but you also need to have local engagement local targeting and and actually reaching out <clears throat> particularly to those communities who uh, are not necessarily abiding by the rules or who just don't know what the rules are 
the sense though, Sean, is that we're sort of living with this virus now. It's going to bubble up every now and then. We're going to have to go into some sort of measure to quash it. And then we just carry <clears> on. I think the received wisdom was that it was going to be all resolved at some point by the end of the year and we'd be able to move on like we would before. Is it a case now of just learning to get on with this thing and having it be a permanent feature in our lives for some time to come? I think it's a combination of us learning to live with it. Because the more, uh, the, the further we get through the pandemic, the more we understand about the science, about the molecule itself, about the treatments in hospital, about the preventive measures. So, so we have to try to find a sustainable balance where we are living with it. But then there's the vaccine, and the vaccines uh, will, will help us to control. You know, I, I think there's still a lot of science to learn about the vaccines. But if we have a vaccine, and we have these measures, we will hope to get on top of this and we will learn to live with the disease. But the vaccine is a key part of that. And, and until that, the measures have to be more robust. Well, what about the vaccine? Because it was very interesting hearing from the chief scientific advisors yesterday saying, well, perhaps a few people might be able to get vaccinated by the end of the year, much more likely early next year. But they did seem confident or relatively confident that there will be a vaccine. Do, do you think that's that's what's happening? Oh yes, yes. I think uh, I think if you looked at the slide that was shown as Patrick Vance was talking about that, he he listed the different types of vaccine that are being developed at the moment and the new science that's being put into play. Uh, and there is definitely a feeling in the scientific community that there will be vaccines. I mean, if you look to some of the news we hear from China and Russia, there are already vaccines being used, but they ne haven't necessarily gone through the safety measures that these vaccines uh, that are going through. And, and there's a very interesting thing about vaccines because uh, it's all very well vaccinating in uh, more, more uh, richer countries, but you must make sure that the vaccine is available globally because if we don't have global reach, the disease will still be around at levels which will, uh, you know, come mean its reintroduction into, into all countries. So there's a big uh, group working together called COVAX who are looking at how to prioritise vaccines. It doesn't stop countries doing things themselves, uh, but uh, it does. Uh, it, they, they, it means that um, you, you can uh, you, you can try to help those less well-off countries who actually aren't even able to test at the moment and don't have robust health systems. And, and what about testing? It seems like it should be a central part of our strategy before the vaccine is is discovered or achieved or developed. Um, but, but, but it just isn't there. Is this not the national priority right now? Uh, it is a national priority, but I think everybody accepts that the uh, system was overwhelmed and they've had to row back. And uh, yesterday, some guidance on prioritisation was issued by um, following a, um, a statement by Matt Hancock in the House. And uh, so the, facts, uh, the, the um, tests are now being prioritised towards clinical situations to hospitals to make sure that hospitals are safe, uh, towards uh, um, uh, elderly care homes, because we've seen we've, many countries have experienced the problems of, elder, of elderly people uh, and in elderly homes and the way that the um, disease can spread. Uh, teachers are also on the priority list because we know how important it is to keep kids back in school. But the general advice that we were getting back in about July, that if you think you might have the vaccine, uh, the, the, the infection uh, turn up for a test, that, that's now being rowed back to make sure that those who really need the test are able to get them. And that's at the same time as that, the, the capacity to do testing is increasing. They have these new large lighthouse labs 
and uh, there are more of those coming on stream, so there will be more testing capacity. Also, you need to put testing into areas where the rates go up, so the areas that are under local lockdown will have increased capacity to test, because as you say, you need to have a test to find out where the disease is, who has the disease, because those people need to isolate, but also their contacts uh, the people reach through contact tracing. They need to uh, they need to isolate as well for uh, for two weeks. And so it is important that we have testing to underpin that uh, test and isolate part of the equation, which at the moment has been struggling to keep up with the demand. Sean, finally and rather briefly, if you would, and we all get told told about when the new normal, when it'll all be over, nearly normal by Christmas. I remember being said. Right now, do you envisage the world going slightly more back to normal, perhaps? spring next year is that even possible chris witty yesterday said it was six months so yeah. he has far more information than i do so i think it's at least six months i'm afraid oh well right fingers crossed then Aero, just six months <laughs> <laughs> fingers <laughs> crossed fingers crossed <laughs> sean thank you so I'm much sean Griffiths. You can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wash your hands and all that sean Griffiths. thank yeah, you yeah, so much absolutely. absolutely don't forget it <laughs> Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.